Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Nine o'clock with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And before we get to more of your mic drops and texts, we want you to know that the Cardinals have announced a ticket refund policy for June games because of the COVID-19 shutdown for season ticket holders. And you probably got the email yesterday, right? You'll automatically receive the same account credit or refund you previously received for April and May games. No action is required for season ticket holders to receive the same credit or refund. For single game tickets and theme ticket buyers you will be refunded the full purchase price including all fees. This refund will be automatically returned via the original form of payment used for the purchase. Tickets don't need to be returned to receive the refund unless purchased with cash in person at the Bush Stadium box office and then you just return to the box office and for the game buyers like the 10 or 6 or 5 game ticket packs, you're, you're going to receive a prorated refund based on the number of impacted games within the pack. This refund will be automatically returned via the original form of payment used for purchase. You can get all this information, of course, at cardinals.com. Seems pretty clear right now that we are not going to have any fans in the stands for mm-hmm. the 2020 baseball season, but they're going month by month. Yeah. I would be surprised if at any point in the season, if it happens, that that sentiment changes. It seems like it's a a pretty steady thing that we're not going to have fans, but I understand why they're doing it month to month regardless. Well, don't they make more interest off the money they have in the bank? Not that it's a lot of interest, but they do, right? Yeah, why not? That's the way it's working. We have a poll up at uh, either M. Smallman on Twitter or Randy Carricker on Twitter, or you can just go to our 101 ESPN page, and we want to know what you're thinking about baseball. Are you done with baseball? As we sit here on June 16th of 2020, and at the moment, Michelle, do you have the uh, the latest up? I do, Randy. We have over 2,000 votes as of now, and 42.5% of people polling saying, yes, I'm absolutely done with baseball. 57.5% saying no, but there's a lot of comments underneath the poll saying, I would like to be done with them, but I miss it so much that even though I'm angry with them, I'm not done. I can't quit you. Can't quit you. <laughs> Texts from the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780, and we do appreciate that. I'd have no problem if MLB decided to not restart because of the risk of COVID, but this has nothing to do with COVID. It's all about money. That bothers me. I think that's what's bothering a lot of people. If if we were hearing these negotiations go back and forth about testing, about health and safety guidelines, about even if, even if they were arguing about the spitting 
If that, if that yeah. was the main point of the contention was about the spitting, I could be on board with this. But the fact that it's only about money and the fact that you have Rob Manfred coming out yesterday saying that he needs the players to to basically write or say yes to the health and safety guidelines and then having them say, we are disgusted that you would even say that. That is not what's happening here. Tells me that it has nothing to do with health and safety right. and everything to do with money. No doubt about that. From the 660... Good morning, Randy and Michelle and crew. I would love to see baseball return. I love the game of baseball with all my heart, and I have been since I was a little kid. But one thing that has disgusted me is I hate what money and greed has done to the game I love. Cosign. It's all about money. And this one from the 636 didn't sign it, but it's probably from Eeyore. (laughs) We didn't have much to look forward to this season anyway. Our team wasn't going to be very good. Thanks, Eeyore. Yeah, thanks for checking in. How did you text with those? Oh, the pause, yeah. yeah the oh, hooves. hooves, yeah. yeah. Hooves. <laughs> Thank you very much for the text. We do Maybe it was voice it. to text for me or... Oh, that could be. You know, just kind of... Keep ho- smiling. Hit the button, hoof the button, <laughs> talking to the phone. Mic drops. Here is Michael. Hey, guys. Man, I'm just so tired of being let down by my favorite sport. If baseball is just going to be another greedy corporation, then Congress needs to revoke their antitrust exemption. Not that there will be any competition or anything, but just as a symbolic move that they're not deserving of any special treatment from anyone. Uh, you know, it can't be America's pastime if it's not there for us when we need it the most. I love that call. There has been no predisposition on the part of the U.S. government to ever do anything to take away any of the extraordinary rights that baseball has. I don't think they're going to now. Heck, look what they did to the minor leaguers. Right. They they called minor leaguers seasonal workers so that they could basically have them as indentured servants. So I don't think the current edition of Congress is going to do anything to help fans and players that wouldn't benefit owners. But hopefully down the road, something like that, just that threat would happen to kind of scare the owners a little bit. I think everyone can agree that baseball is broken. And it's and how is it going to get fixed? It's going to take someone stepping in. I don't know who that person is. I don't know what chain of events is going to cause it to be broken down and rebuilt. But the way it's currently constructed, the way that these things are playing out, it's very obvious that the system is broken. No doubt. Here is Ron on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Randy and Michelle. Michelle, you mentioned earlier about how embarrassed you are about what's going on with MLB. And though I totally understand how you feel, there's no reason why you nor anyone else should be embarrassed by that. I myself, I mean, I love Major League Baseball. I love the Cardinals. But I'm fed up. I'm totally fed up. I am just done. There's a done. See, I go through waves of emotions. Uh It's like an onion. It's layers. (laughs) First, um, you you know, it's like when you're sad, you get denial. At first, I was like, oh, no, no, they're going to work this out, right? Then it's anger, frustration, sadness. And then it gets to the point where I'm just like, you guys can't help yourselves. And I'm embarrassed for you. Okay, I was going to ask, you're embarrassed for them. Yeah, I'm embarrassed for them. I'm watching them act like clowns. I'm watching them throw away the best opportunity that was presented to their sport maybe ever maybe ever Mm -hmm. and i'm embarrassed that they are so greedy and short-sighted that they cannot see what they have ruined and how badly they have mangled this thing and if they are and this is the entire industry this isn't just the owners but i'm i'm going to put mostly on the owners if they are capable 
of self-reflection and of being embarrassed, they should be the most embarrassed they've ever been in their lives right now. Even if you fell down some steps on camera in public, you should be more embarrassed right now about what you are doing to our country in a time in which our country needs you. Yeah, after everything that fans have given you, I tweeted this yesterday. I have loved baseball my whole life. I've defended baseball when people said it was boring. I have spent crazy money on beers, on merchandise, on parking, on cable packages so that I could support the team and the sport that I love. And I have sat by and continued to defend and support baseball while I've watched all my friends jump off this baseball ship to go to the NBA or the NFL or college football or gaming or fantasy sports where you're not even watching baseball. All of these things. And I said, no, no. You got you to settle in with baseball. You got you to gotta, uh, respect the pace of the game. It's beautiful. And I, I tweeted this. I wonder how many people are going to be in the boat with me when this is all said and done. And when when I need you, baseball, after everything that I've done, when I really need you, this is how you repay me and everybody else like me. This is what you do to us. It's a toxic relationship, Randy. And at some point, people are going to have to say, you know what? I'm going to walk away. If, if you can't get your stuff together, then why should I continue to support you? I have like 14 different Cardinal caps and I haven't worn, worn one since spring training. Wow. None. So. I have a Memphis Redbirds hat that I've been wearing because it has an M on it. Uh-huh. Like Michelle. Um, so, yeah, I've been supporting the minor leaguers. But Good for you. But you know what? I do reach for my blues hat nine times out of ten. I, and I've got a lot of blues hats. A lot of blues hats. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been reaching for them, too. Here is Jason with a mic drop. Rob Manfred is unfit to be the commissioner in baseball. Bottom line, he's terrible. 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 I, I, I don't know who would be a better fit, but certainly is not him. Not him. Problem with Rob Manfred is that he's a protege of Bud Selig. Bud Selig was an owner before he became commissioner. The commissioner used to be a position that acted in the best interests of baseball. Mm-hmm. Now the commissioner is a position in pretty much every pro sport that acts in the best interests of the owners. And part of being in the best interests of baseball is that you're thinking as a fan. You're thinking, okay, what do the fans think of us as an industry? Now they don't care about their customers. They don't care about their fans. All they care about is what their future bottom line holds and what the algorithm will be and who cares if we lose 20% of the fans in the stands because we're going to get X amount of dollars from TNT. They, they aren't worried about the feelings of their customers anymore. But they will be concerned about the feelings of their customers if their customers choose to cut the cord and go elsewhere. And there are now options that weren't there in the summer. Baseball used to own the summer. Now you've got MLS coming back. Mm -hmm. The NFL is a huge thing even when it starts in late July in training camp and they start their preseason games in August. NFL preseason games outdraw major league games, which is unbelievable, but they do. People bet on them. Mm -hmm. And now you've got basketball with as powerful as it is going into mid-June, hockey going into mid-June. There's a lot of competition for baseball that wasn't there in the past, and I don't think they recognize it. They don't. They have such a disproportionate sense of self and a disproportionate sense of their place in the sports world. And every time we talk about this, I talk about egos. And their ego is so outsized that they think that they're untouchable. They think, hey, look at look at these TV deals we've got. There's no way that our product would ever, 
ever fall from the pedestal that it's on. And I look at them and I say, do you realize you're not the, you're not holding the gold medal here? You're in third place and you might you're pretty close to not placing anymore. Could you envision, and you being a, a former All-State soccer player in Illinois <laughs> oh as a high schooler, you love the sport. I do, could, yeah, I do. But could you envision your friends turning to soccer as their summer outlet for sports? Absolutely. A lot of my friends are already big soccer people anyway. They, it's their weekend ritual to get up early and watch the EPL and put on their kits and make a little mimosa. It's a Saturday ritual. And... That's that's national, by mm -hmm. the way. That's not just here in St. Louis. That's my friends across the country. And with the popularity of MLS rising and, you, you know, base, baseball, it's not... If, if you don't love the game, if it's not something that you have grown up loving and you have a team in your hometown that has kept you interested, it's very easy to jump ship. It's a long game. It's a long season. And to, to have a game like soccer that's more fast-paced, that's more entertaining. And as we mentioned, when fans come back to the stand, it's more of a fan-friendly environment. Fans are chanting. They're involved yep. in the game the entire time. It does more to capture your attention. I can absolutely see a lot of people turning to soccer. Last week, we were talking about the first games we ever went to. If you, in the space of a week, as a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old, if you go to your very first baseball game on a Sunday afternoon and then go to your very first soccer game, MLS game, on a Wednesday night, what's easier to become emotionally invested in? We I, I would say unless you saw something spectacular at Bush Stadium, mm -hmm. soccer. Because of the crowd. Yeah. Because of the fun that they have. It's exactly. just a more fun environment. Let's get one more mic drop. This is Jake on 101 ESPN. Well, I think what Rob Manfred and the owners are doing in their negotiations is really disingenuous and bad for the overall game of baseball. I think what the players need to do for their next CBA is to negotiate for a percentage of revenues because if the players really believe that the owners are hitting home runs every year except for during this pandemic then they need to go for that extra income jake you could not be more correct and i, I said yesterday i think it was on the chris long thing i might have said it here i don't remember but if the players would have taken the 50-50 split that they were offered of revenues in 1994, they would have made a hell of a lot more money than they've made since 1994. And if they would take a 50-50 split now into the future, I guarantee you, guarantee that if there isn't a collectively bargained 50-50 split between the players and owners, that players will never reach 50% of baseball revenues with their salaries. Never. never. Wow. Because owners... They're paying guys less. The San Francisco Giants have online their pursuit, their their sales pitch for college seniors to sign with them as free agents. And they say, baseball players' performance starts to decline at the age of 29. So you want to get to the majors as quickly as you possibly can. We're the organization that can get you there. But major league teams are saying, after 29, you aren't as good. And we aren't going to sign you. And that's that's where free agency has been. Mm -hmm. And that's where free agency is going. Man. And one more from the 636. Why are you solely blaming the owners? The players have ownership as well. I think you and I both agree that both sides 
maybe share equally in the stupidity here. Neither side has really negotiated. The players haven't come out off that 100% of their game day check for however many games it might be. They've apparently failed to recognize that the revenue of the sport is going to diminish because of the pandemic and there's no fans in the stands. And the owners really haven't negotiated either. They haven't come off essentially paying the players 33% of what they would have made. There's been missteps on both sides, and I have teetered back and forth every day. We hear something different, and I am pointing a certain percentage of blame in different directions. But where I sit now, June 16th, while I certainly think the players, like I said, have made some missteps, to me, the owners have fumbled this so badly. When you have Rob Manfred, who's your mouthpiece, going on ESPN last night and calling your situation a disaster Mm -hmm. and lying about the situation where not only you know the Players Association is going to come out and say, hey, we're disgusted by this, it's a lie, but to insult the fan base even further, to say, hey, this is about health and safety, it's not solely about money, as if you haven't offended us enough already. Now you're basically saying that you think we're so dumb that we can't see what's playing out in front of our very eyes. So as of today, I'm definitely putting more on the owners. That being said, yesterday, one of the things that came out was that the owners had offered uh, or or the players a lot of players said we just want to play that's their whole thing as a matter of fact their release their their press release said uh, that we want to play. Yeah. Players are disgusted but that Rob Manfred uh, unequivocally told players and fans that there would be 100% uh, a 2020 season. He has decided to go back on his word, and the the players are all tweeting, we just want to play. Well, if that's the case, then all, you, all Tony Clark had to do immediately after Rob Manfred complained about their lawyer threatening a grievance was say, we aren't going to file a grievance. We just want to play. We aren't going to file a grievance against you guys. No grievance. We just want to play. Mm-hmm. That's all he had to do. You're right. And so, yeah, players, they're, they're to blame as well. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk to uh, former Cardinal and 2006 World Champion Jason Marquis at the bottom of the hour. Dan McLaughlin coming your way from 10 to 11 with Scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. But it is time for You're Killing Me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Nailed it. Nailed it. I'm having a good day, Randy. I could tell I could tell <laughs> that I wasn't going to step over it. Okay, so I want to take a conversation we were just having off air and bring it on air for my podcast that I'm taping today. We are having a state draft. And what I mean is my co-host Steve Cerruti and I were saying, hey, if we were going to start our own countries and we had to draft states from the United States of America, 25 each, to comprise our countries, how would we do it? So we're going to have a draft. And I spent so much time yesterday putting together my big board. And there's about seven to ten states that you know are going to be sitting right there. Premium picks right at the top of the draft. There's about seven to ten states you know are going to be competing for Mr. Irrelevant. But 
that leaves a huge chunk of America in the middle mm -hmm. that you are going back and forth on saying, mm, a lot of negatives here. Is the state really going to be able to provide me the value that I want if we're comprising this country? And so we were talking about this off air. I'm curious what your number one overall pick would be if we were doing a state draft. Okay, let, let me start with this. It's all about me with the state, okay? Of course, yeah. It's your worried. country. Yeah, it, it, so... I want to start with that. What I'm looking for is the no, number one feature is going to be the availability to me of professional sports. Okay. Climate is huge. Yep. Quality of golf is huge. Okay. Big, big, very important factor. Yep. Yes. Quality of restaurants is huge. Okay. So with my first pick, uh, Carriker takes the state of Arizona. Ooh. With the first overall pick. You know, I know your affinity for Arizona, and I should have guessed that you were going there. But I'm looking at my notes here on my on my big board, and Arizona, very hot. Very hot. There's really only a couple months of the year where Arizona is even tolerable to live. And then it's you have to run from your air-conditioned car to your air-conditioned home or wherever you're going. You can't even be outside for a minute. It's a dry heat. Uh, that's what they say. But I was there for the final four in April, and it was unbearable. I don't mind heat. I, give me heat over cold every single day, even if it's like unbearable heat. I would rather be outside in unbearable heat than unbearable cold. Interesting. Well, I've been weighing a lot of options, and I hope that... Well, I know Steve's not listening because he lives in Connecticut. He could be streaming on the 101 ESPN app, but I hope no one tells him. But you're going to think... You're going to be shocked by my pick, but here's where I'm going with my number one overall okay. pick. Call me Harriet the Homer. I'm taking Illinois with my value pick, okay? Think about it. I like all the seasons. Illinois has all the seasons. Mm -hmm. You have a great, great major city in Chicago mm -hmm. with the lakes. You have Midwestern charm, great people. You have sports teams. You also border St. Louis, another great city. There's just so many things to love about Illinois. You you have your, your big condensed city or you can have space. You mm -hmm. can really do whatever you want. There's so many positives to the state of Illinois. I know a lot of people are going to say, hey, what about New York? What about California? More negatives there than I think Illinois presents. And I don't know if I should go with Illinois as my number one overall pick because I, I know Steve is not going to take right. Illinois. So that's kind of the strategy. Do I think it's going to fall enough for me to still have it in my country? But if Illinois gets taken off the board early and I don't select it, I can't forgive myself. I was in an Uber last summer in Chicago with a guy that was born and bred, grew up in Chicago, okay. was moving within the next couple of weeks to Nashville. He said, I love my city, but my city doesn't love me. Oh. So uh, I am I would have Illinois absolutely in my top 10. There's no doubt about it. But I thought that was an interesting dynamic from somebody who had been there because I love Chicago just like you do. Love it. And I thought it was really interesting that he had that approach as a guy who, who also loved the town, but felt like the town didn't love him anymore. Interesting that he would be going to Nashville because I was reading articles about how so many people have migrated to Nashville that the infrastructure has been overwhelmed and that it, it, what the rate of development in Nashville is not going to be enough to accommodate all the people that are trying to live there. So maybe Nashville's not going to love him the way he hopes either. I'm driving to Athens, Georgia last last fall. We went to the Mizzou, Georgia game. Friday afternoon, 2 o'clock, the highway is a parking lot. And... I've talked to people that, like, at night, she, a woman that lived seven miles away from her job at a hospital and got off at midnight. It took her 45 minutes to get home. Ooh. 
Yeah. At midnight. In Nashville, yeah. See? And a lot of people are texting in, Michelle, you're not considering taxes when you're picking Illinois. Sure, but then the other states that are going to be considered in the top 10, California, New York. I mean, taxes mm-hmm. are going to be a problem with a lot of these high-value picks. On your big board, do you have New York in your top 10? Of course I do. Yeah, you have to. Have to. You want to hear my top five? Yeah. I have Illinois, California, New York, Wisconsin, great state, mm-hmm. and Colorado. All excellent calls. Thank you. And then rounding out the top 10, this was difficult. That second five in the top 10 is crucial. Mm-hmm. I have Montana, amazing state. I have Hawaii. Ooh, yeah. I've never been there, but it seems great. Yeah. I have Oregon. Ooh. And then this is where it gets tricky. I picked Florida, even though I was like, there's a lot of negatives to Florida. Mm-hmm. I think the positives outweigh the negatives. Right. If, if you make it all about you and you're yes. just going to be be isolated from all the weird stuff. Right. My headquarters in Florida could definitely be in the Keys yeah. or Miami. We're not talking swampland here, right? Right. And then I really struggled with what to round up the top 10 with. And I went with South Carolina. Oh, interesting. Never been, but it seems like a great place to live. Very interesting. Yeah, Hilton Head, mm-hmm. Myrtle Beach. Glad um, of golf. Yeah. Number Water. 50, by the way. Number 50 on your list if you've had... Well, you might have the 50th pick, so... Yeah, we don't know who's picking first yet, but um, no disrespect, but I think it's going to be a race to see who doesn't get Mississippi. <laughs> get a little disrespect. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. All right, I saw this on Twitter, Randy. The Madden covers are out. Mmm. And Adam Schefter tweeting, the cover of Madden 21 is? Mahomes again? Lamar Jackson. Oh, beautiful. That's perfect. That's good. Uh, Well-deserved. The MVP. And I think Mahomes might have had it last year. So, yeah, Lamar Jackson's a great call. That'll sell a lot of Maddens. Hopefully there's no curse. Yeah, no doubt. Although he, he averted it, right? But I was just going to say, <laughs> can you imagine if this was news was released and then we got the jet ski video of Lamar <laughs> yeah. after that? Yikes. Thankfully, he's not hurt. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, last one, Randy. Ford Broncos making a comeback. Ford Broncos are back. Interesting timing, though. They're releasing the new Bronco on July 9th, and that's also O.J. Simpson's 73rd birthday. There had to be a tie-in there, didn't there? <laughs> I mean, this is not a coincidence. No. Uh, the the white Ford Bronco that was parked, even now, here we are, 94-04-14. We're 26 years beyond the alleged murders by O.J. Simpson of his wife and a waiter. And when somebody on my street parks poorly, I say, oh, O.J. parking. <laughs> 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 so it's uh, it, it's it, it, that's amazing. I wonder if they knew that if Ford knew that introduced the new Bronco. They had to, right? They had to. You would imagine that Ford is paying enough people in PR or marketing or all of these things that if you're going to release the Bronco, you're doing a ton of research on OJ. I wonder if he buys one, a white one. I would imagine he loves attention. I cannot yeah. imagine that he would not want to get some attention from that. Good stuff. Can't wait to hear the state draft either. That'll be fun. Thanks. On the uh, Small Talk podcast. And you can uh, find that on anywhere that you find podcasts. But you have to subscribe and rate five stars, right? Yeah, and leave a review. We'll read it at the end of the pod. There you go. Coming up, former Cardinal Jason Marquis is going to join us. We'll talk some ball on 101 ESPN.
With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we head right to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and former Cardinal Jason Markey joins us now on 101 ESPN. Uh, Jason Markey, great to have you with us. First of all, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Everything's great, and it, we always appreciate having you uh, on the air here in St. Louis because you were a contributor to that World Series championship team, and I know that that was uh, one of the highlight years for you. Anytime you win a championship, right? Oh, without a doubt. I'll tell you, that three-year run we had in total from 04 to 06 was pretty special all the way around. You know, we had our core group of guys, but we also had a lot of guys come in from different organizations and uh, from trades and minor leagues, and I think it just made a special group, but we all had one common goal in mind, and that was just to, to win as many games as possible and bring a championship back to St. Louis. Even though you won the World Series in 2006, have you ever played on a better team than the 2004 team? I'll tell you, our 04 was probably the best team I've ever played on, from the chemistry to the talent, just to playing the game the right way. I mean, I've been on a lot of teams, and that's not to discredit any team i played on. But we had some really, really smart and talented guys on that team. Jason, speaking of teammates, we want you to tell us a little something about one of our teammates, Brad Thompson. you got to have a Brad Thompson story that you can share with us that is is safe for the airwaves, but that we can use against him at some point. Well, I don't know if it's anything in particular. Brad, Brad was just a low-key, humble, you know, he was this young, nervous rookie who came in and big eyes, wide open, Really didn't say much. He was a prankster. You know, he hung with the likes of, uh, you know, obviously the relievers stick together, the Randy Flores, who is now a big part of the organization. Uh, you know, the Adrian Housens who took him under his wing. But, you know, obviously he could talk a lot now. So <laughs> he had a lot of stuff that, that he held in back then that he's getting out now. But Brad is a, a first-class person, first-class baseball player. I got a chance to see him the last few years from our fantasy camps to – announcing a few Cardinals games over the last two years for, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all those good things. But Brad's a, Brad's a really good dude, first-class guy. So if he was quiet, Jason, when you were around him, were you surprised that he's so successful in his media career? Well, I think, you know, back then there was a different. It was almost like, a, even when I came up, most of when I came up, there was a pecking order, you know, eyes open, ears open, mouth shut, right? As a young guy, mm-hmm. and you, you saw the way you made up the food chain and, uh, you sort of just learn from the veterans who, who control the clubhouse and set a tone for the team. And I think Brad took on the role really well and has more of an old school mentality him than the new, uh, the newer thought process. So, you know, he couldn't wait to speak his mind. And obviously, uh, who knew he had this, this many good things to say. Now that we're sharing stories, everybody's got an amazing Chris Duncan story. We were teammates with him. You were teammates with him. And he was just such a fun, loving guy that we miss every day. So do you have a great Chris Duncan story that you can share with us as well? Oh, Chris, obviously, Chris was a, a great human being. It's a shame, obviously, that what transpired, but, uh, you know, he'll be missed forever, obviously, and was a big part of our club. And Chris, yeah, it was crazy how Chris, you know, was just this, even though his dad was part of the team, same thing like Brad, this young, impressionable, just go-getter. Johnny Hustle wanted to do whatever it took to, to help the team win. And, you know, he was put in big situations. I can remember one time in Detroit. I mean, he obviously he didn't know this, but, you know, he's in the box hitting this during the World Series. And you could see the, the backside of him, his back pockets, we call his butt, whatever, you, you know, <laughs> shaking like he was nervous standing in the box. Nervous. Like, and it, it was just to see somebody in that level, but still come through in that situation, learning how to control those emotions. You know, he was so amped up, jacked up, nervous, excited for that moment but knew how to control it just because he knew how important that moment was to him. And, uh, you know, that was him all the way around. He would do anything for anybody. Uh, you know, 
wasn't treated like a, a coach's son. He was he wanted to earn his stripes, and uh, and that he did. Jason Marquis, former Cardinal, with us on 101 ESPN. And Jason, when you came here in 04, you got your first real opportunity to start from Game 1 through Game 162. And you mentioned Dave Duncan. What was it that Dave Duncan did for you to make Jason Marquis better? Yeah, well, obviously going to in Atlanta as a young guy, being drafted by them as a prospect, you know, your hopes and dream is to you know pitch in the rotation with the Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz, which, which I did for a little bit. I thought I warranted enough to be there, but obviously they wanted to go a different direction. And uh, coming to St. Louis and speaking with Walt before I got traded, and he said, listen, it's your job to lose. You're going to spring training. It's your job. If if you fail, you know, we're going to have to rethink the options. But you know, I came in there with a challenge that they presented to me and was ready for it. So I get to spring training. And they obviously had the tape and knew what they wanted on me from what my stuff was, from my four-seam fastball to my slider to my changeup. And uh, really, the, the transpiring, the, the aha moment or where Dave Duncan really allowed me to become sort of the pitcher I was, we were throwing a bullpen one day in Jupiter. And it was one of the first bullpens. First few, he was just getting a feel for who I am, what I was doing, my mechanics, how I approach things. And so I'm throwing, I throw a forcing fastball, and I give the sign to whoever was catching me at the moment, you know, in spring training, uh, to throw a sinker. And I give him the sign, and I throw a sinker. Throw a sinker. Turns to me, he goes, I, he goes, I didn't, I didn't know you had the sinker like that. I said, yeah, you know what? I, I learned it. I always threw a two-seam grip as a kid because I had smaller fingers, and it was a very comfortable grip for me. And he turned to me and said, listen, he goes, the velocity's still there. He goes, why don't you think if you could control it and keep in the bottom of the zone with movement like that, instead of getting deep into counts, foul balls with your four-seam fastball. And back then, the up-and-down part, it was more east-to-west pitching, the knowledge. Mm-hmm. It was more east-to-west and bottom of the zone. And he said, listen, your goal is why don't you try to get miscontact, not swing and misses all the time. Worry about m- taking the ball off the barrel of the bat. That sinker's too good. He goes, that should be your primary fastball and use your four-seam as your secondary fastball so you can get quicker outs, three pitches every batter, you go deeper into the games, lower pitch counts, and really that was the revolution of how I became a, a sinker ball guy and learned really then how to use a sinker ball in different situations and different hitters and in and out. And so really that was the main – and that, that was within the first three weeks of meeting him. And then from there it was just little fine details to refine everything and stay on track. It's a great story, Jason. As somebody who's been in baseball your entire life, how are you observing what's going on between the owners and the MLBPA right now? You know, uh, Rob Manfred was on ESPN last night and called it a disaster. But as somebody who's a baseball lifer, what are your thoughts on what's happening with baseball right now? Yeah, listen, it's a very tough situation. And throughout the year, the uh, MLB players and the the union and the owners have argued over things. And there have been strikes. There have been delays. There have been stoppages. And there have been times that the 11th hour, we got stuff done. And obviously, this is a, uh, a different time with everything that's gone on with the uh, pandemic, if you want to call that. And, uh, you know, listen, at the end of the day, there's got to be a compromise. We do have a strong union. We are headstrong. Uh, sometimes our ego and pride can get in the way. And sometimes we're not always going to get what we want. So there, there does have to be sacrifices that have to be made on both ends. Listen, for the sake of the game, even for the sake of the individual player where – you, you need your body to get in baseball mode to be, even be ready for next year because it's, it's almost like every play in the major leagues went on the DL, and everybody knows that next year coming off the DL, especially as a pitcher, sometimes you're not as sharp, right? So it's almost you could use it as a 
a full year of spring training so you're ready for next year. And listen, some sacrifices are going to have to be made. I want to see the game of baseball played. They do. But at the same time, it's it can't be done at the expense of losing everything that we stand for also. Now, I really haven't dove too deep into the details, but there just should be a compromise just to get everything going in the right direction. I mean, I, I think we need to play, but not at the expense of giving up everything we believe in also. I don't think for Jason Marquis, apparently if you do play in 2020, it's going to be with the designated hitter in the National League. What are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, you don't even have to ask me that question. You know, I don't like that answer. I mean, I love being part of the game in every man. I love being in a box. I love pinch running. I just feel like I'm a baseball player instead of just a one-dimensional skilled pitcher. You know, I, I enjoy that part of the game, getting in the box. It keeps me more engaged. Even on non-pitching days, I'm engaged. But I, I, I like the way it's set up with the, with the pitcher hitting. I wish they were like that in both leagues, but we know that's never going to happen. But if, if that's what it takes for this year, I hopefully it's a one-year thing and they don't implement it for the long term. I think a lot of the stuff that they really should do for this year should be just for these three months. And when it's over, it's gone for the, for the foreseeable future, whether it's the DH, even from the sole fact of, like, even stats. Like, don't even keep stats this year other than wins and losses, mm-hmm. right? Who scores the most runs? We win, right? And, and don't hold it against it for guys' future contracts. I think that, you know, that may go a long way, too, but... Back to the DH, you know, I like seeing the pitcher in the box. Said from the 2005 Silver Slugger Award winner <laughs> in the National League with the Cardinals. Jason Markey, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. We do appreciate it. No problem, guys. Anytime. See you later. That is Jason Markey, former Cardinal, on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Dan McLaughlin will join us. We'll cross things over to Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mack is coming up. Dan just told us that he'd have, and we're going to get into what state he would draft. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, he just told us I'd like to have lunch with Adam Silver. Oh, yeah. So he's on the bucket list. Who's your number one lunch person that you'd like to have lunch with? Well, I told Tim McCarver I'm very upset with him because he is supposed to set up lunch with a couple of people for me, and I've told him multiple times I'm (laughs) very upset with him. Al Michaels is on my list that he hasn't set that one up, and Paul Simon is another one that I'm supposed to have lunch with, and he hasn't set that up. And I don't know why, but he's supposed to set those up, and he hasn't done it yet. So I'm very upset with Tim. Let's say Tim... I shoot high. (laughs) I was going to say two great choices. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tim's got some pretty good numbers in that phone, huh? He does, man. He he I, he called me the other day and uh, he's like, "Damn, what's going on with this baseball?" And you know, he's all upset. I mean, these guys, what? Come on! And you know, he starts getting all upset about. It. I well, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and I said, "What are you up to?" I just got off the phone with Al Michaels. I I said, "Well, great, you setting up my life. well, no." You know, I said, why not? And I said, how's that uh, Paul Simon? Well, I'm working on it, you know. And he he had the Tim McCarver show for years. And so he had Paul Simon on it. He had, well, he and Al Michaels did games for years. Um, And then I just go through a litany of 
people, big, big names. And it, well, I had him on the show, and I, he was on the show, and I said, well, why don't you line these guys up when, you know, I could go have lunch with these guys? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, that's that's Tim. He's one, a beauty. One time many moons ago, and it might, I think it was for you and your golf tournament, I got some of those, uh, the 1980 hockey pictures signed by Al. I bought it. At my golf tournament, and it's hanging on okay. my wall in my basement, and it said, you got it at Rams Park when he was coming in to do a Monday night game, right. and it's it's the 1980 uh, big blown up, thank you for doing that, it's the 1980 uh, Miracle on Ice, and he signed it, Do You Believe in Miracles, yeah. Al Michaels. It's ah. one of my favorite pieces of memorabilia. So, And I asked him if, with everything that he had done, and he's done everything big, yeah. if that was the best, and he said... It was the best, and there's no way it'll ever be topped. Never. I, I don't really collect a ton of memorabilia. Most of the stuff I have is from announcers that mean something to me. Like, I have Milo Hamilton's call of uh, of um, 715, and I've got a Brooklyn Dodgers jersey signed by Vin Scully, which I think is really cool. It's unique mm-hmm. having Brooklyn on the front. Um and the Al Michaels call. So stuff that's unique to me. Jack Buck has signed some things for me back in the day. So those things mean something to me, but other stuff really doesn't. And as we go along uh, in baseball, that the things I have signed, they, they're gaining uh, less attention for me. That's just the way I feel. <laughs> Is there anything that you don't have signed that you would want, something that you covet? Mm, that's a really good question. I would have loved to have something signed by Jackie Robinson. I, that's people ask me who's the one interview you would have loved to have done, and he's number one on my list, mm. bar none. Jackie Robinson would have been it for sure. I got a chance when I was really young to interview Ali. That would oh, have been cool. Wow, really? Yeah. So th- that was cool. And what did you ask him? Yeah. It, it was mostly about boxing. I didn't really ask about his social justice reform at that point because How proud would he be right now oh man no doubt mm-hmm. uh, and there was a little bit just asked about uh w- the sacrifices that he had made to get to that point because this time he was towards the end of his career and the the question was how much more could you have done it you not not sacrifice those years and he said well, I'm the greatest of all time, but I would have been the greatest, greatest of all time. <laughs> so he, was, he was great. And when I was an intern, so I'm literally 19 years old, I got to go interview Hank Aaron. He was in town for an event, and so I got a chance to talk to him and Ted Williams. My favorite interview ever was Ted Williams. and I'll never, Was he crusty? He wasn't, and that was the <laughs> the greatest compliment I ever got. So I read all of these books about Ted Williams and how it, how great he was, but then there was always that he was very difficult with the media. And it's at a card show, and they sit me in a room with him, and I think I'm going to get five minutes because he's a crusty old man. We go for 20 minutes talking about baseball and hitting and his life. And at the end of the interview, my very last question was, you know, as I prepared for this interview, I read a lot about you and read about the difficulty that media had with you. You've been so nice to me. And he said, well, I'm nice to people who know what the hell they're talking about. Those other guys didn't know what the hell they were talking about. You obviously know baseball. (laughs) I'm going to give you a compliment. I've seen you interview hundreds, if not thousands of people, especially having you know, produce for you for years. And when there's been what I would consider what could be difficult people, um, you come firing because you're, you're, you're an encyclopedia of, of sports. And so if somebody gives you a short or curt answer, you come 
boom, right with the question. So I could see you being ready for a Ted Williams or someone that wants to test you. That, that's, well, and I mean that as a compliment. So I could see you being ready for Ted Williams. I appreciate that. And there are directions to take to keep an interview going. And I know that there's a lot of people that say, oh, you, you never ask tough questions. For example, last week when we interviewed McGuire, mm-hmm. you don't say, what about the steroids? <laughs> With McGuire, you yeah. say, Sammy was on the radio in Chicago yesterday, and he was asked about that season being illegitimate. How do you react to that? Mm-hmm. And that's that's asking the question but in a different way. It's rephrasing the exact same question, and McGuire still got pissed, right? He said, mm-hmm. well, they can walk in my shoes. But you, you don't have to come out and just torch a guy right away. You, you can ask a question in a reasonable way, a I tough question in a reasonable way. I also think it's, I don't know if you guys agree, if if someone is, is going to say I'm agreeable to do the interview with you i i just think it's human nature and maybe i'm wrong it's irresponsible to put people on the spots with questions that uh, make them uncomfortable now i understand there's some questions that are going to be uncomfortable like that but um i don't know i I just don't like the gotcha stuff it's just not my nature i don't I just don't like it. It's just not what I want to do. One time we got a memo at KMOX from Mr. Highland. It was a long memo. And part of it was that it stuck with me forever. When you have a guest on your show, they are just that, a guest. guest. Exactly. Treat them as they were a guest in your home. Right. And I think that's right. I I, agree. I, I just don't understand why, again, now some material that you get into is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And they probably understand that you're going to go down that road. However, it, it's not always necessary to go down that yeah, road. Right. You know, just, you, as you said, they're your guest. So treat them right. as such. But I can't imagine that Mark McGuire picked up the phone to do that interview with us and didn't think when we were talking about that documentary that there would be at least one question about the steroids. So that's why I think it's important to find a balance between the two. You want to be respectful of your guests, but you also know that they're aware that that tough question is coming. I would think that every time that he gets asked to do an interview, he's got to think in the back of his mind, where is this going? Mm -hmm. Every single time. And that gets annoying. It gets old. You know, and, and as he said in the one interview that he did, um, or the one question that he answered in the uh, in the documentary, he's like, "I'm still dealing with it today." It gets old. I mean, he's answered the question yeah. a thousand times. That's the thing, you know, he, he has, and we've all heard the answer a thousand times. I interviewed him. I guess he was in San Diego or L.A. I can't remember last time I visited with him in person. And uh, I just said before we got going, and we had talked for probably a good 45 minutes, I said, hey, can I get just five minutes with you? And I said, I don't want to talk about any of the other stuff. Just what are you doing now? He goes, great, let's go. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and he knew. I mean, he trusted me, and we had talked thousands of times and got along great. Yeah, that's the key is uh, developing a relationship with, uh, so that somebody does trust you and knows that that gotcha question isn't coming. He was, and I mentioned this in the show yesterday, I don't know if you guys were listening, but he was great to me. Always, as a player, as a coach, wonderful to me. So I always treated him with respect. He gave me great respect back. And I've told Michelle just in the last couple of weeks that when he interacted with me, he was great. Yes. We we never had a crossword. There were times in, in 98 and 99 where I could be walking down the hall, and you remember the old studio downstairs at the old ballpark. Mm-hmm. I would be walking down the hall towards the ballpark, towards the Cardinal Clubhouse, and he would either be coming in or coming out of the weight room, and it was as if I wasn't there. Yeah. And 
that's just something that I dealt with. And whether it was the pressure or whether it was the reaction to the performance enhancers, I don't know. But there were some days where he just didn't want to deal with anybody. Yeah. And that's just the way it was. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.